Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. This is all edited out, I'm sure, correct? Yes. yes. Okay, all right. Oh, no, it's all there. <laughs> NSL Double Talk featuring Jennifer Witter and Zachary Wood. Their topic today is understanding implicit bias. Jennifer was named one of the nation's top most successful black CEOs and entrepreneurs and is the author of The Little Book of Big PR, 100 Quick Tips to Get Your Small Business Noticed. She is a CEO and founder of The Borland Group, a public relations firm that specializes in corporate and executive visibility. Jennifer is an active public speaker on unconscious bias, gender-based workplace conversation, and corporate communication. Zachary is an assistant editor and columnist at The Guardian, a former Bartley Fellow at The Wall Street Journal and a class of 2018 graduate of Williams College, where he served as president of Uncomfortable Learning, a student group that sparked national controversy for inviting provocative speakers to campus. In his book, Uncensored, he writes on the importance of openness to unfamiliar perspectives and how political polarization is affecting America. We are so excited to welcome Jennifer and Zachary to NSL Double Talk. Hi, Jennifer. It's great to be with you. Hi, Zach. Great seeing you. How's everything? Great. How about you? I'm fine. I'm so looking forward to our conversation on implicit bias. Same here. Yeah. When I speak on implicit bias, one of the first questions that I get is, what exactly is implicit bias? And the way I define it is that it is prejudices of which we all have that we are unaware of. The word in that sentence that I think is most critical is unaware, because I think that a lot of people will say, oh, I, I'm not this, I'm not that, but everyone in our families and our friends, our colleagues, myself included, we all have a bias. And I think that conversations that we are having nowadays it's important for us to be aware of it and see how we can address it. Absolutely. I agree. I think so often people don't realize that what's forming certain biases that we have, certain unconscious and implicit bias, is conversations we had around the dinner table growing up, the environments and communities that we're a part of, the people we hang out with. So much of that is kind of pre-instructional. It's not something you learn in school. It's not something that is taught to you directly, but it's something that you just pick up on. We make associations between things. And so, so much of it is also observational. I totally agree. And I also feel that with implicit bias, it is so nuanced and it's like an, an onion. Now you keep peeling back the layers and you see more and more. Children as young as five have implicit bias. And it starts forming as young as those little darlings in kindergarten where their biases are focused on race and gender. When you talk about implicit bias or unconscious bias, most people think about it in those two areas. Whereas, yes, those are the two primary areas, but bias goes across the board in terms of how tall you are, how much you weigh, 
your religion, whether you are able-bodied or not. So I think the conversation that we have today, and when I say we, it's not just you and I, but in the, the greater community, that we have to broaden our scope in terms of implicit bias so that we're not limiting ourselves to the two more well-known areas, but to also understand that it is much broader than we initially thought. Definitely. No, I think that's a great point, that it has to be a very dynamic and nuanced conversation. Do you think that most people are aware of implicit bias? I don't think it's on the top 10 list, list right. right now, but I do believe that there is a growing awareness of it, uh, especially in the past two to three years where it seems to me that there are a lot of things that are going on within the culture, within the government, that people are becoming more aware. When I first started working, we didn't talk about diversity. We didn't talk about bias in the early 80s. We were more focused on getting ahead. And I'm talking about it from a a woman's perspective and a woman of color. And uh, there were things that were said to us, to me again, as a woman of color, that it was just like, I I beg your pardon. And uh, in terms of implicit bias, people would say things to me that revealed their own biases. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School. It's one of uh, three specialized high schools in New York City. You have to take a test to get into it. It's a STEM school, and I graduated with an A average. I went to Fordham University. And at one of my earlier jobs, uh, someone said to me when I became president of the Borland Group, which I founded, she said to me, you must have learned how to speak proper English by watching TV. And it just came out of the blue. Uh, She saw someone that she just immediately began to form opinions about. I grew up in the South Bronx, single parent family. And uh, yes, the beginnings were humble, but my mother always had a set of encyclopedia in the house. I went to public schools, but they were the best public schools. And so I think nowadays that people are becoming more aware of things that they may be saying that are coming out of their own backgrounds that may not be what they're seeing in in reality. In that particular case, I mean, how surprised were you? By that that particular experience. Oh, it always takes me it does? back. Oh, okay. I I freeze like a doe really? in okay. the light. And um, I had another boss who said to me to my face, he goes, you know, Jennifer, if I closed my eyes and didn't see you, I would think that you grew up in Beverly Hills. Basically, he said I was speaking like a white person. Right. And again, he had no problems. He thought I would take it as a compliment. And during those years, this wasn't discussed. Diversity wasn't discussed. Inclusion wasn't discussed. Implicit bias was not discussed. And now that it is, I think that some people are taking a look at what they have said and what they're thinking about and uh, maybe saying, well, you know what, I need to take a step back. And when I see a person, allow that person to write their own story as opposed to me writing their story before they even say a word. Absolutely. I've been thinking in my own experience about how it's best to bring up implicit bias. Because so often when you bring up things that address dynamics of privilege and power, it can make certain people feel uncomfortable. Exactly. And so if you actually want to have a conversation with people, there's this question of, of tactfulness. How do you bring this up in a way that will allow someone who 
is far less familiar with your background, far less familiar with your experience. To engage and understand why it is that certain things that they might say, certain views that they hold, certain perceptions that they have are problematic. It's not easy, I agree with you. I think that companies need to have these conversations in a proper setting, but allow the um, staff to know that it's a safe place and that they can say what they want without being judged. And you have to make it fun. Exactly. You, know, right. you can't, I mean, who wants, who goes tripping into an implicit bias class? It's <laughs> right, like, right. you know, please, I'd rather go and get a root canal right now. Exactly. And yeah. you have to make it sound like it's, yes, you'll learn from it. Of course you'll learn from it. But it's not going to be something that it is weighty. And you can't point your finger at the person saying, you, you're a right. person of privilege. Exactly. But again, it's the opening of the mind so that they can at least walk away with the thought of, I'm going to start changing my mindset. And wow, I didn't even think about that. And this is something else that I say, that every person has been a victim of implicit bias. No matter how privileged you mm -hmm. think you are, you have been a victim of it. And the word victim it's, it's, a, it's a loaded term, and there's almost an implicit bias against the word implicit bias. Like if I said to you, I went to Harvard, what would you think? For me, it's been helpful to begin with questions, mm -hmm. to ask people questions about where they think their particular understanding of an issue stems from. Yes. You know, does it, I'll say something like, uh, when was the first time you thought that? Mm -hmm. Or when did you come to feel firmly that, you know, this issue worked this way? Or And it forces them, I think, to kind of question their own understanding and to do it and allow it to be a process so that they don't feel forced and that, so they I don't agree. feel pushed. That way you're, you're able to kind of keep people at the table. Mm -hmm. I think especially since 2016, after the, the election, there are people who feel that if they express you know, their political views, they will be you know, isolated and alienated yes. and attacked. And there are a lot of implicit biases that go into any robust understanding of that election and of the factors that played a role mm -hmm. in it, right? Having the first African-American president and then potentially the first woman president and the fact that that's a kind of destabilizing social change for many. And so I was thinking about, you know, how do you have this conversation with people about the many biases that play a role in, mm -hmm. you know, how we vote and how we think and how we view public figures. And for me, it was, it was leading with questions and allowing people sometimes to, to even say, I recognize that this view mm -hmm. is problematic, but given where I grew up, given how I was raised, given what I was exposed to, this is what feels natural for me. Exactly. You know? Because with implicit bias, we start forming these opinions when we're as young as five years old. Right. And it comes from our family. It comes from our religion. It comes from our culture. That it's layer upon layer that we're not even aware of it. And I think the silver lining in the turbulent times that we're living in is that there is an opportunity to listen to others. If you can just 
you know, peel away the noise and just listen and try to strip back your own bias and say, okay, I'm going to speak to this person and find out who she is or he is and educate myself. And then the the flip side to that is to look within yourself because the studies that I have read up on is that, and it doesn't even have to be studies, we stick with our own. Right, yes. You know, birds of a feather. Right, yeah. right, right, yeah, exactly. Exactly, you don't see pigeons and swallows hanging out together, <laughs> right, do you? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and it's like step out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're in New York City now, and have you gone to the Asia Society? You know, have you gone uptown to the Hispanic Society? You know, taking those little steps, uh, going into cultural areas that you may not even be thinking about. Um, I have an exercise that I do. It's a chart. And it says, who is in your world? Do you work with um, people who are you know, primarily college educated? Um, your doctors, what is their ethnic background? Your friends, not just their racial makeup, but their socioeconomic status. And a lot of times people will fill these charts out and they'll see that there's not a lot of diversity <laughs> right. in there. And again, you know, just take a step out. It's not like I want people to come up to me and say, Jennifer, be my friend. You know, that's not, you know, going to work for either of us. But to realize that perhaps some of these biases are so implanted because we are frightened of taking a step out or we're not even thinking about it. As someone who has studied this and you describe that exercise, do you think when I, whether it was college first job, in so many different settings, they have this like implicit bias workshop mm. that the members of that community who are entering will go through. Uh, icebreakers, things of that sort. Do you generally think those are effective? Do you think some element of that needs to be sustained? Do you think that like one, one day of that or one week of that is really enough to make a difference in the no. places where it matters most? No. With all of my seminars, implicit bias is the only one that I say that you will not be able to walk out of here with practical information that you'll be able to immediately use. Implicit bias happens, according to most studies, in less than 10 seconds. So when you and I met, uh, it was already going you know, by the way you presented yourself, by how you're dressed, um, how you spoke, everything started to churn in my mind without me even realizing it. And again, you have to almost physically stop yourself. And that's why I say allow the person to write his or her history without you doing it. I think that if you make it interesting and fun and light, that people will remember it more. And um, Dartmouth developed a a game. It's a card game. And the the name of it is escaping me right now. But what they do is two sets of cards. And it's adjectives and nouns. And you throw it out there. Have you heard about it? I have. Yes, yes. And it's a fun way of people um, throwing out the adjectives and nouns. And you you think of a person, uh, whether fictionalized or... Um, real, and then you just throw out that name. I spoke to a women's group, and we were playing this game, and they were laughing, and they were having fun and all that, and they were throwing out the cards, and it was fun. And then I we did the presentation, and then I circled back, 
And I said to this women's group, I said, do you realize that every card that was thrown out, the, the name that you threw out uh, to match up the, the adjective and the noun was a male name? And two cards that came out was a cute and superhero. And one woman said Superman. And that was the year that Wonder Woman came out. And when I brought that to their attention, they were like, ah, oh. you know, like we didn't even think about that. And so, again, I think that taking a light approach can have a more long lasting effect. And that we don't go into it saying that you will leave this room uh, a totally changed man. What we can best hope for is that you'll be thinking more about it. Absolutely. I'm going to share that with my sister. I have a 15-year-old <laughs> sister, and yes. she's very curious. She is very smart. She's very determined, very hardworking. And she has pointed out to me that in class, her friends who are girls will feel uncomfortable raising their hands sometimes or like less comfortable or they'll doubt mm-hmm. whether or not they should do it. And I always encourage her, if you have a question, just raise your hand. And if for some reason it's a very sensitive question, ask your teacher after class. Well, with implicit bias with women, we get dinged all day long. And if you are seen as being direct, then you get labeled the A word, aggressive ambitious. And I agree that she should, you know, take the person aside. But one of the um, ways you can manage that is uh, something called speech behavior. And it's putting intent before content. And let's say the content is, I disagree with you. And studies have shown that when women do that, their competency and even their salary drops double digits Percentage-wise, when they say I disagree with you, when you have the content alone. So if you put intent in front of it, Mm -hmm. saying, you know, Zag, I really feel for the benefit of the company that there is a need for a differing opinion, and I do want you to know that I disagree with you. When you do it like that, then you will be heard more. But you know, so many women walk the line of wanting to have their voices heard, but we can't be seen as men because the bias for women is that we're nice, we're polite. You know, God forbid if a woman shows anger. Right. If you show anger or emotion, you're crazy. And if a man shows emotion, you know, it's almost like a positive if he has anger. And I'm speaking in broad brush terms right now that it's not seen as a negative. For women, it absolutely is even today. And so we have to know how to approach difficult conversations that will allow us to communicate, to be heard, or minimizing the the blowback against us. I love that idea. So intent before content, thinking about the framing of what you're saying, how Mm -hmm. best to to couch what it is that you want to say. The speech framing. Women are supposed to be nice and kind, even in business. And, you know, I remember years ago, I was, I had a Canadian client and I would just, you know, pick up the phone and talk with her and hang the phone back down. And one day my superior came into my office and I'm going to use a a fake name. He goes, you know, Sally has an issue with you. And it's like, really? And he says, she says you're too direct. And I was, 
I was like, really? (laughs) I I had no idea. And so what I've done, and even now, even in my emails, I always start with, hi, how are you? And then I go into the, the conversation. But, you know, again, there's a box that sometimes we're in that we don't even know that we're in. And if you're seen as being too direct, it can be a negative. And again, it's all about bias. From what you're saying... It puts this extra burden on on those who are disadvantaged, whether it's minorities or whether it's women in whatever circumstance. They have to do all of this thinking about the most tactful, efficient, strategic way to do something so that they don't risk losing a job, so that they don't risk losing the approval of someone who is in whatever relationship, business relationship with them, the authority figure in the room. It seems like... And I've heard this from people that I've spoken to. It can just be tiring. It's exhausting. It can be exhausting. I think that it's important for everybody to be educated to this. And I also think companies should go out there and get that education for their employees as well. And I put it in very stark terms. You know, let's not be altruistic about it. It would be great to live in a kumbaya world, wouldn't it? But, you know, let's look at what happened at Starbucks last year when an employee, you know, it was in Philadelphia. She called the cops on these two black men who were sitting quietly and, you know, they were escorted out. And I say this to corporations. Can one employee cost you $6 million because of their bias? And they look at me and it's like, really? And I said, well, that's what happened to Starbucks because of this woman's bias against these two men who are sitting quietly. It cost the company $6 million to close down all their facilities to conduct implicit bias training. That does not include the cost of the programming or getting uh, the trainers in. And a lot of people don't realize they also did that in Canada. So they lost millions of dollars more in Canada. So with implicit bias, it shouldn't be on the burden of women or people of color all the time because it's unfair. It should be incumbent upon companies to train their staff to be aware of it. Again, maybe not always altruistically, but for them to understand that there can be really a financial price for them to take and to bear. What happened with companies in in the past with uh, Dove, when they did that uh, campaign, it started with a black woman who was bathing with Dove, and they said, oh, she's becoming cleaner, and she eventually turned into a white woman. You know, come on now. Or with H&M, where they had a bunch of adorable little boys wearing shirts, and the little boy who is black wore a shirt saying, I'm a little monkey. Or Target, I could keep going on, where it was Father's Day and they had they have a special section for cards for people of color and they had a card and it said, to my baby daddy. Really? Really? Right. So that's where diversity and inclusion comes in because it helps to negate the implicit bias. And somebody described diversity and inclusion. The difference is, is diversity being invited to the party and inclusion is being at the party and being asked to dance. 
I like that distinction. Exactly. It's easy to understand. And I think that people realize with the three prongs, diversity, inclusion, and implicit bias, it will help to whittle away um, some of the preconceived notions that we have and to expand the world that we are so fortunate to be in. Uh, David Dinkins, the former mayor of New York, at his first inaugural, he said a phrase, and I always use it, and he talked about the glorious mosaic of New York. And we are blessed to live in this city that has many different kinds of people. But we live in the United States, which has, you know, a wide range of people. And I think that the more we are able to partake in the glorious mosaic that is around us, uh, the better the person that we will be. Absolutely. Zach, this has been a lovely conversation. Same here. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank you. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning.